You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Today, we're going to be talking about a wool for every project. So here's what's happening on the farm. It is um, at the end of June right now. We are still pretty much staying at home. Um, I think this is going to be day number, I don't know, like 103, 104, something like that, that we have been staying at home, sheltering in place. Um, It's really hot today. And it's kind of overcast. The wind is, there is a breeze, so it's not too bad. The blueberries are get ripening, and so that's been nice to have those. And also black raspberries and um, some red raspberries. But I think we kind of had a big die-off last year. Um, the goats and sheep are just hanging out in the barns. We've got the big fans going for them because it's a little bit hot for them um, when, you know, in these transition months. So today we're going to be talking about um, wool and, you know, where do I, why can I talk about wool? (laughs) Well, I've been a shepherd for, I don't know, I want to say 15 years. And um, I'm also a level two classer from the, um, the I'm certified with the American sheep industry. Um, So how you, what that means is that first you take a class and you take a test and that constitutes your level one classer. So you have the book knowledge to be a classer. Then to get to be a level two, you have to put your hands on 100,000 pounds of wool. Are you doing it by yourself? No. Most of the wool that um, I've classed has been at large um, county or statewide wool pools. Um, As a level two, you always have to do it in conjunction with a level three classer who is verifying that you are, that you have the knowledge and that you um, are a good classer and that you should be moved on and given the certification for level two. Needless to say, to do 100,000 pounds took a few years. I'm going to say it took like four years to earn that much poundage. Um, and if you were in the program at this point, it would be really hard because so many of the wool pools have closed down, which we'll get to the reason why that's happened later in our broadcast. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get to be a level three. I would like to be able to help out as far as like training other people, because um, I think that I'm good at teaching. <laughs> I have a little bit of experience with teaching um, to get to the next level for me. Um, so what you have to do is you have to go on a, um, an ASI approved American sheep industry approved mill tour. I so want to do that. And we were getting ready to do that before, you know, the world came crashing down with this pandemic. Um, so at some point, um, we'll be able to go ahead and do that. And typically you're going to the mills that are in, um, North and South Carolina that are still left. Um, the real problem for me is that the other part of being certified is that you have to class in a different region. You have to work in a different region. And for me, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think I can can do that with my responsibilities here. And I'm not sure that I want to do that. 
Um, so what is a classer? So and how, how does this whole thing, why is it important? Um, so as a classer, what I do is I go out um, on shearing day with the shearers and um, we work with the shepherd to sort out the fleeces that they get. We're going to ask some questions. What are you going to use this for? What mill are you taking it to? What are the mill's requirements? And then we can work to sort the wool into the various places that it should go. Oh, this one is really nice for a hand spinner. Let's put that into a different category than something that would be maybe not as good. Maybe it's a little short. Um, and maybe that would be better to go into, be made into a blanket or um, into wool baths, um, something like that. So we help the, sh the shepherds um, with sorting. We help them to improve their clip. If we notice that there's something, some part of their management that they could change to get more money for their fleeces, um, then we work with um, the shepherds that way. And by sorting out um, the, the wool into different levels, then that shepherd can get the best money that they can get. If you put in one bad fleece in with, um, you know, 16 really good fleeces, all of the fleece price is going to be brought down by that one fleece. So you want to make sure that you are, you know, getting the most bang for your buck when, you know, you are selling your fleeces. So there are hundreds of sheep breeds. I did look this up um, and it's in the slide later, but I'll just say it now. There's in the worldwide, there's at presumably an estimate of about 1400 different sheep breeds. Um, and each of those sheep have different kinds of wool. There are long wools. There are fine wools. There are wools that are downy. There are double coated wools. And there are even um, breeds that don't really make a wool. We call them hair sheep, um, the, the Catoctin breeds that don't really make a wool per se. Um, and, you know, before the Industrial Revolution, there were wool breeds were more widespread and more varied. And, you know, if you are a spinner and if you've been paying attention, there's a whole program called um, shear them to save them, which is uh, trying to get people to spin more of the conservation breeds, more of the heritage breeds, um, and bringing those those kinds of wools back into uh, submit. So those shepherds that keep them can be making some money on that. Um, the spinners in each of those little in each of those villages or areas, they use the wool that they had. They learned how to spin it. They used how to, they learned how to use it in myriad ways. And they all had to make, it was used to make all of their clothes. And just <laughs> that's again, because we would not want all wool clothes right now. Um, but in the olden days, that's what they had. And that's what they did. And they would, they used it to make rope. Um, they used it to make textiles found in their homes they used the Vikings used it for building their sails on their ships. And also like all the rigging, um, mass riggings and stuff were made from wool. They even had, they carried their sheep on the, the ships with them, especially if they were going on long voyages. And they also made beautiful tapestries. And most, mostly until 
I don't probably the the during the industrial revolution, I can't remember the exact date, all of the colors came from plants. Plants a couple of different animals, but mostly um, dyed with plant stuff. Cotton really wasn't put into widespread use until after the American Revolution. But even when they were when they were setting up um, the commerce in young America, they were looking at how to you know get more mills to um, to. Um, process the wool that they were growing. They were bringing in sheep. They were. This was like one of the young industries that America promoted um, right when it was starting out, which is kind of an interesting thought. There's a book called um, Wool, and it's a history of wool. And um, in the show notes, I will um, put the bibliography up there. And if you're interested in the history of wool, it is fascinating um, to look at. But then we had the Industrial Revolution, and even, you know, as the centuries have gone on, um, the industrial, the industrialized mills have become more and more kind of limited, I would say, on what they, um, what they can handle and what they can make. So they, you know, then dust with the industry, they bring in the big giant machines that do all the cleaning, all the carding, the combing, the spinning, the fibers. And, you know, whether that be wool or cotton or silk or um, some of the man-made fibers like viscose and rayon and, you know, bamboo and tensile and those kind of things. And because these are big giant machines, they need to be run in an efficient manner. And uniformity is how the how that happens. You want to have all of the fibers be as uniform as possible. You don't want to have short pieces and long pieces and vegetable matter and things like that. So as the years have gone on, the and it's the the kind of sheep has become more and more limited because they want that um, that uniformity. And as a public, what we want is softness in our clothes. And people do not want to have scratchy wool, even if it's something that they're going to wear over a sweater or over other clothes. If they feel it, everybody consistently puts yarn next to their face or on their neck. And they, you know, they say, oh, it's so scratchy. And it's like, but you're not looking at what you're going to be using it for. Um, people don't even care if their garments are going to pill or if they don't last a long time, because we're now in this period of, you know, disposable, practically disposable clothing. Things are cheap. You can get, you know, a $5 pair of jeans at Old Navy. Will they last a long time? No, but they don't have to because you can just go out and get another pair of $5 jeans in a week or two. Um, so today the large yarn manufacturers are mostly using Merino and Rambouillet, things that are very fine, fine wool, high crimp wools. There are only two major large mills left in the United States. And um, some of them will take various um, wools, um, They'll take shorter wool lengths. They don't have to be all merino, but 
they at least have to be three inches in length and they have to be strong, like no breaks. It doesn't tear easily. So, yeah, manufacturers are driving the sheep decisions in the United States and probably all over the world. You know, there, there were, like I said, about 1,400 sheep breeds of sheep worldwide. Um, but if the mills are only going to buy soft, fine wools like Merino, why would you raise any other kind? So a lot, the largest flocks in the U.S., they're out in the West and they're Merino or Rambouillet or Dibouillet, which are all in the same kind of class of these um, very fine wool, high cramp wools. And when I say that they're large flocks, I mean like 5,000, you know, 2,000 to 5,000 animals in a flock. Um, just imagine what shearing week is like for those farms. Um, it's huge. Um, just recently, I guess I want to say in the last five years, China really cornered the wool market. They were only buying fine wool. They bought the entire clip from New Zealand and Australia, and they bought most of the, the U.S. clip as well. However, now they have changed. They've, they've pivoted away from wool, for, and I don't know why, um, but they're now um, cornering the market on alpaca fleeces. So the wool, wool prices were fairly good, like in the $2 per pound range. Um, and right now it's something like between two and 20 cents a pound. So um, it almost doesn't pay to sell your wool. And especially if you're a small, um, a small flock. So that, that all that economics of it all, has to be taken into account. And that's why when I said before that um, with the wool pools, that used to be um, with Maryland wool pool, it, we, it was one day and it ran for, I want to say maybe 10 hours. And we pulled in like 74,000 pounds of wool, all different kinds of wool, long wools, short, short wools, um, the only thing that we wouldn't take was any colored wools or wools that definitely had big damage. Um, if they were already kind of felted on the animal, there were a few that, you know, we had to, to disqualify, but um, 73,000 pounds is a lot. The last wool pool that we had in the area was um, a Pennsylvania wool pool. Um, that one maybe lasted for, I want to say maybe four hours. This was last year, um, and there were very few people bringing their fleeces, um, which was which was a shame. So now back to small flocks, especially here in the east, people have small flocks. There, we don't have a great deal of land. We're we're not running our flocks on you know a thousand acres of uh, brush, um, and so we don't have massive space. Um, and some of the fine wool sheep aren't really adapted to our climate, especially in the summertime. This hot and muggy time is really hard for um, fine wool sheep. There are a few shepherds that do have merinos in Maryland and Virginia, but they're pretty um, they're pretty rare out here. In Frederick County, we have a Sheep Breeders Association, and we counted up that there are 34 different breeds in our area, which is really pretty good. 
Um, some are primarily for meat or for cheese. There's a whole, we have a couple of really good sheep dairies here. And of course we have uh, many meat producers um, and their owners will go to the wool pools if it makes sense so that those will go to mills or they simply throw their fleeces away. We're trying to train them not to throw them away because there is a use for everything. Um, some, especially some of the meat breeds, which would be like the Catoctins, are called hair sheep. They don't have a traditional fleece. It doesn't need to be sheared. It just kind of falls out. And it really does look like hair. It isn't uh, woolly at all. A lot of our small flocks are raised for the hand, spin hand spinner felting and farmyard market. So here are the type of, wool, of wools that we have. So there are short wools. A lot of times if these could be on lambs or they could be on stressed animals somehow. Um, typically, there, is, there are some uses for short uh, wools, short fleeces. They can, be, they can go into bats. They can go into mattress pads. There's, there are some things that you can do with that. And of course, you can hand spin those. They wouldn't be good to go to a regular mill. There are coarse wools. Mostly these are in the long wool category. There are what's called medium wools, and those are the biggest variety of them um, and the biggest range of micron size. There are fine wools and some, and then long wools, some of which are considered coarse, but some are not. And the, these are based on the, the micron size of the fiber and somewhat to the staple length. Like long and short would be staple length. So long wools. So primarily these are the coarse category with the, the exception would be blue face lusters, which they border on um, a, a medium grade wool. Some are even in the fine category, but maybe they're only fine for a short time, not their entire life. So some of these breeds would be the Leicester long wools, the border Leicesters, the BFL blue face Leicesters, the Caracoles. Um, you have some fun ones like the Teeswaters and Wensleydales that have the long curly locks that everybody likes and they can make Santa beards and um, troll hair and things or doll hair, things like that. If the wool is on the coarse side, there is still something you can do. You make it into durable outerwear, like a sweater that you know that you're going to wear something, you know, a turtleneck or something underneath it. So it's not going to bother you. These are also wonderful for rugs and tapestries. The wool is really lustrous. It catches and reflects the light. So like to make it into a hooked rug hanging is wonderful. A lot of caracol is used in that way. And these are really, really durable wools. Whatever you make is going to last a long time. Even if it's in a place where you get a lot of rubbing, you're not going to have a lot of pilling happen with it because, you know, it's a long staple length, something like five to eight inches it could be. In the background, you hear my cat. She's like, she's wanting some attention. She's running around and being weird. <laughs> so that's, that's her. Medium wools, like I said, this is the biggest class of wools, and there's so many breeds, and I'm only going to name a few of them. The ones that we have around here would be the Romneys, which there's so many Romneys in our area, Perindales, Shetlands, Texels, Clune Forest, California Reds. Um, 
these have so many uses. They again, they're they are very reliable wools. They are pretty durable too. Um, and so, you know, make those into sweaters and hats and gloves and socks and things that uh, um, are not on a real totally sensitive area of your skin. Um, I don't think I would make um, a scarf out of it or a wrap because I think it would those it would be too itchy. But they can also be used for rugs and other household textiles like pillow covers, table runners. You can weave with them. You can knit and crochet with them. They, um, a lot of these medium wools come in a lot of different colors as well. There's so many variations of Romneys. There's grays and browns and blacks and whites and California reds have kind of an oatmeal-y kind of a color. So these are wools that are very easy to find and they have a lot of uses. Then we have the fine wools. So as the name denotes, they are the softest. They're the ones that you can wear next to your skin. So those are the ones that they're making into long underwear, like with icebreakers. Um, so it's like the Merino, the Rambouillet, the Cormo, the CVM, which is called the California, uh, California Variant Mutant. I don't know why they call it that. Uh, the Rommeldale and the Targi. They are very fine wools with a lot of crimp into them. And that's what makes them not itchy because when, when the fiber touches your skin, it bends um, because there's so much crimp, it doesn't stick into you. So it won't be that itchy. So with the, this, you can make scarves, you can make wraps, you can make tank tops, you can make um, sweaters that you maybe only want to wear a t-shirt underneath that um, for you know, a spring day or a fall day, you don't need to have a whole turtleneck underneath. These aren't as durable as the coarser grades. Um, and you may find that there's pilling on the yarn, depending on how it's applied. Um, and, you know, in high friction areas, like under the arms, um, on, the, on the back, things that are going to be have friction on them are probably more likely to pill. But they're wonderful. And in case I didn't say this, so we have Cormos and we have BFLs, and then we have a hybrid of a Cormo BFL cross. Um, so we're more in the fine wool uh, category here on our farm. So what are you going to make next? And what do you have in your stash? And is there something that now you want to try? Would you ever think about... Um, you know, buying a fleece or maybe sharing a fleece with someone um, and going through the whole process of washing and carding and um, spinning and then making it into a garment. I hope you do sometime because it's, it is a really fun pro process and, um, and it would be fun to do as a group, you know, to, to get a couple people together um, and, and buy a fleece because you probably don't need a whole fleece yourself to make a sweater. You need about two pounds of raw fleece to make a sweater. So consider that. In the coming podcasts, we will be talking about um, more about farm yarns. Like how, how do I uh, process my farm yarns? What can you do with farm yarns? Like what yarns are good for doing lace? What yarns are good 
for doing cables. Um, and I'm hoping to have some interviews with some people who are also making farm yarns or are in the wool industry. So you can hear just, you know, more than just my voice. So if you like this podcast, please consider going to, to iTunes and leaving a review for me. Um, I thank you and we will see you again soon. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.